for the inner city area of our community and and uh, we bring young people into our property here and we teach them what it is to know Jesus and what it is to live for Jesus and yesterday we had a special day where we actually had a special get together for them uh, at a park right in their community it was a great day and uh, I guess there were a little better than uh, 80 there we had 30 parents who came out just to see what the kids were up to and and it was a great day and and Daniel he uh, preached the gospel and there were seven people that came to trust Jesus as their savior yesterday through this special outreach so we'll clap for people getting saved and uh, it was a wonderful wonderful time and uh, we're glad to be a part of a church where good things are happening all of the time. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 5, and, and uh, we've been several weeks now in this passage of Scripture. And we're going to conclude this series, as Matt said earlier today. And, and uh, I'm thankful for all that I've learned through study of this passage. And I'm shocked at how little I knew about these very important verses in the Bible prior to actually getting in and, and uh, digging them out for myself. So I hope that you've been encouraged along the way. I, I heard of a couple that had been married for about 60 years, and, and uh, uh, they'd shared everything in their lives, but the husband remembered that uh, a short time after they were married, his wife said, honey, I'll never keep any secrets from you, but I have one box, and I don't ever want you to look inside of this box. I'm going to keep it here in the closet. He said, fine, I'll never look in the box, and, and all those years later, his wife was now in the hospital, and the prognosis was not great, and she was going to be living in, in, uh, in the hospital for according to the doctors, the remainder of her life. And so the husband began to go through her things and, and get things in order. And when he did, he came across that box. And he hadn't thought of it in many, many years. And he thought of looking inside, but he thought, you know, I probably shouldn't do that. I told her I never would. So he took the box with him on his next visit to see his wife in the hospital. And he said, honey, I've been cleaning some of your things out. And I came across this box. Can I look inside? And she said, well, sure, now I think, I think that would be fine. And, and he took the lid off. And inside the box were two little homemade dolls. They'd been crocheted, and there was a, a wad of cash, about $95,000 in cash that was in that box. And he said, man, what is all of this? And, and uh, the wife said, well, honey, I, you know, I really never intended to tell you about this, but when we got married, my grandmother said that if we ever have a conflict and we just can't seem to resolve it, then rather than just rehashing it over and over and over, I should just crochet a doll and and the therapy of all that would be good, a good way of getting over it. And, and uh, the husband really was overcome with emotion. There were just two little dolls in there. And he thought, man, in all these years, 60 years of marriage, only two times we had a conflict like that. And he was just so thankful. And, and then he said, well, honey, what's the cash all about? She said, well, every time I crocheted a doll, I took it to the fair and sold it for $5. Okay, so uh, she made a few dollars over the course of their marriage together. We've been studying about relationships and, and uh, we know that we can't have conflict-free lives as much as is possible, the Bible says, we're to live at peace. And total harmony in a relationship would imply there are two perfect people in that relationship. And of course, that's not the case. If your marriage is like mine, I married an imperfect wife and she has an imperfect husband. And for that reason, there's no perfect relationship and the reality is that there will be conflicts from time to time now we do find that as two people grow closer to the Lord inevitably they get closer to one another and we call that the pyramid principle when you have a husband that loves God and a wife that loves God and they're growing in the same direction the closer they get to God the closer they're going to get to one another but there's another side to all of this that we're going to talk about today frankly it's a heavy topic but it's a topic that we need to discuss, and it's a topic that comes from the words of Jesus Christ. How many of you think if Jesus said it, we need to study it? 
And the other side of this is the relationship that people of faith have with an unbelieving world. The fact is the Christian life is a life in which we can be assured that the more we resemble Jesus Christ, the more there will be those who take exception to our decisions, to our behavior, to our demeanor. And conflicts can arise in our lives as a result of actually loving Jesus and living for Jesus Christ. And if that sounds strange to think that living like Jesus would exempt us from those types of trials, let's be reminded of how things ended in the earthly life of Jesus Christ. If ever there was a loving, giving, serving Savior, it is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yet He was crucified on an old rugged cross for doing the very things that we could not do for ourselves. There's nothing more irritating to a sinful world than someone whose life reflects Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible uses the analogy that it's kind of like someone throwing on a bright light in a very dark room. It's a little bit repulsive at first. And when people of faith live as Jesus would have us to live, the Bible assures us there will be occasions in which difficulties will come to our lives. And there's a Bible word for what I'm talking about today. And the Bible word that we're going to talk about today is the word persecution persecution. Frankly, it's a word we'd really rather just ignore or not consider, maybe act as though it would never happen. But I want you to know today that persecution is alive and well in our world. The Pew Research Center shares that 75% of the world's population lives in areas with severe religious restrictions. Severe. The United States State Department has revealed that Christians in more than 60 countries endure persecution simply for their faith in Jesus Christ. 60 nations around the world, Christians live under the threat of constant persecution because they believe in Jesus as we do. They love Jesus and they want to live a life that would be pleasing to our Lord and Savior. Many have reported that approximately 70 million Christians have been martyred for their faith in the course of world history. And although the exact numbers in our day are not altogether clear, we know that we have ushered in a renewed season of persecution on people of faith. Beheadings have become common for Christians in much of the world. Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham and and the president of the Samaritan's Purse, has told recently of entire Christian families being buried alive. The news has recently reported that 11 missionaries were beheaded and then their bodies were then crucified by ISIS, Muslim, jihadist, terrorists. I'll use every, every word I can. These, these people that, that hate uh, our God and for that reason they hated these missionaries. They, they beheaded them and then crucified them. The, the lead missionary had a 12-year-old son. He too was beheaded after they cut off his fingers. I want to remind you that at any point along the way, had they renounced their faith in Jesus Christ, they would have been exempted from the persecution. Now, I know some of you would say, Pastor, you shouldn't talk about such things in church. We need to hear such things in church, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are giving their lives for doing what we do here today in relative freedom. 
In America, we know that things are somewhat different. We are still seeing, however, a growing intolerance towards people of faith. And it's interesting, in our nation today, you can believe about anything, participate in any deviant behavior you choose, and the world will celebrate you and honor you. But if you say, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I believe in the Word of God, and I want to live according to the principles of the Bible in this great day of tolerance, it's amazing how intolerant the so-called tolerant crowd comes when you say I just believe in Jesus and the word of God you'll be labeled intolerant and you'll be labeled a bigot that's the day in which we're living in America pressure against pastors is increasing in ways you can't imagine I remember just mentioning the fact that abortion goes against the teachings of scripture not too long ago receiving a note that I didn't know the person from which it came notes normally work that way like this that said if I say things like that again you'll no longer have a church and I was so comforted as I read that note to know well this isn't my church this is God's church and God's going to be fine he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it and and yet that's the day and age in which we're living a pastor can stand up and simply teach the word of God and there will be those who say if you keep doing that you're going to have problems in your life and in your ministry we've seen this trend in europe pastors have been literally arrested for reading portions of scripture that speak against the sin of of homosexuality literally arrested for reading the bible we know that currently in canada there are laws being passed right now there's a law being passed about this recent transgender issue that if a pastor speaks out against it now it's not aimed at pastors but includes pastors if they speak out against it from the bible that 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 would be a hate speech crime punishable by a minimum of two years in jail and america used to lead the way but we've acquiesced our leadership and basically we're adopting everything that's happening around the world and i believe that within the tenure of my pastorate such laws will be passed in america today that if a pastor boldly preaches the word of god he'll face problems and persecution and for that reason many today are fearful of taking a stand for that reason many pastors even have just made the decision there are some issues they'll never address they'll never go there they'll avoid those passages of scripture and i'm afraid that many christians in america today have grown so comforted in the degree of freedom that we've enjoyed to this point that if confronted with the option of being confronted for faith in our loving Lord and Savior or facing persecution, we'll avoid any association with Jesus so that we can just ride along. Now, we may grumble in our smaller groups, but so few today, it seems, are willing to take a stand for Jesus Christ. And when we feel that way, we're missing out on a blessing that comes from it all. Now, I didn't write this passage of Scripture. The series is entitled The Pursuit of Happiness, and the first seven Beatitudes have been pretty comforting overall, but then we come to the final Beatitude. The first four Beatitudes dealt with our relationships with God. Our our, our final four Beatitudes we've studied have dealt with relationships with one another, and in the final Beatitude, Jesus says, you know, there's a relationship you need to understand between people of faith and an unbelieving world and i know it's a heavy topic and i hope i haven't let all the air out of the room but frankly this is a message american christians need to hear so if you're able to join me in standing out of respect for the reading of god's word i invite you to do so matthew chapter 5 matthew chapter 5 i'll begin reading today in in verse 10 if you love jesus say amen. amen matthew chapter 5 and verse 10 this one that we love here's what he said blessed are they 
which are persecuted. Now there's kind of a caveat here. He said persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Let's look down to verse 12 even. The Bible says rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Think of the statement in verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted. Our Father, we thank you today for your words and we're grateful for the testimony of our Lord and Savior and for the great encouragement we've received along the way. And God, I pray today that we would know the great blessing that's available to people of faith when times of persecution come. I pray that we would be bold and courageous, that you'd help us to stand for you with love, with great compassion, but to stand nonetheless. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our most recent study in the Beatitudes revealed there's a special blessing for those who make peace. Beatitude number seven was blessed are the peacemakers. And we've learned that peace is is something that is to be made. It's a product and those that make peace, those that commit themselves to the process of, of reconciliation, they find a blessing from God in the course of their lives. But the reality of life is that we will not live lives without conflict. There are some battles that are just as old as time. The classic conflict that we find throughout Scripture is the conflict between good and evil. And there is a good and a loving God. And we know there is an evil and a horrible devil. And the two have been going at it ever since Lucifer was cast out of heaven. And although our God is the God of the universe, there is a sense in which the devil has his foothold here on planet Earth. The Apostle Paul was writing to the believers in Ephesus and in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, he referred to Satan as the prince and the power of the air, referring to his domain, if you would, here on planet earth. In fact, later in his letter to those same Christians in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul said this, he said, finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. If we were to take the time today to go back and read all of the Beatitudes that we've studied, we'd be reminded that they're all countercultural. Everything Jesus told us just seems to go against the grain of conventional wisdom. In other words, if we've been offended, we don't want to make peace. We want someone to come to us. But Jesus says, no, do it the opposite way that you'd expect it to be done. Be the prime mover. Go be a peacemaker. All of these statements that Jesus made, they're counter-cultural. They don't seem to fit in with the world in which we're living. In fact, in many ways, they seem to be the exact opposite. And when you live in accordance to the truth of God and God's word, you will find that your life will be out of step with the conventional norms and the mores of our society. I'm reminded of the first century Christians who were living for God. The great work of, of God resulted in the local church starting in Jerusalem, making its way to Antioch because of persecution from Antioch. A great missions movement began, and among those Christians was a man by the name of Jason. 
And on one occasion we read of a, of a time where Jason and some that were with him were, were apprehended for their faith. And in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6 the Bible says, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city crying. Here's the charge they made against the Christians. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Now, we know that what was happening is people of faith were living right side up, but when the world evaluated their lives, they said, no, you've got it completely backwards. You guys are upside down. The world's analysis was right from their perspective, but from God's perspective, it couldn't have been more wrong. Living for God will bring His blessing. But there's another part of this message we need to get. Living for God at times will bring persecution. In fact, the first thought I want us to consider this morning, and if you have your notes nearby, is this thought, persecution will come. Now, I want you to notice the way Jesus said it. He said, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. He didn't say if. It wasn't painted as something that would be an anomaly that might happen to one out of a million, something like that. He said, blessed are you when men shall persecute you. Now listen, I'm not being negative today. I know it can seem as as though this is a negative message, but I really believe that Jesus is helping us here so that we can be prepared. And we know there are Christians around the world enduring persecution, and who are we to think that we're exempt from paying a price for the faith we have in our Lord and Savior. And has, as has been said, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And I believe Jesus is encouraging us today with the reality that we can be prepared for those times and we can be blessed in the midst of those times. I remember several years ago, our church offered a financial class called Financial Peace. And We'll be offering that again, and the first time we did it, I remember talking to Lisa. I said, I don't want to host that class. I don't want to lead that class. I want to attend that class, and so for the first time ever in our time here ministering, we uh, just got the book, the workbook, and we went to that class, and we got there early every week, and we sat down, and we were ready to take notes, and, and so much of what was said was so very good, and so much of what was said was really not new. It was nothing I'd never heard before. But the man that taught the course, it was a video course, he did a great job of putting things in a way where you could really learn how to apply it to your life and live out a good budget and all of these things. But there was a big takeaway for me in this class. And and the big takeaway for me was the fact that the instructor said, so often we're surprised by things in life that shouldn't be surprising. He said, we're surprised when our car breaks down. As though cars never break down. We're surprised when Christmas shows up as though it doesn't come every year right about the same time. And he talked about the value of being prepared, of of setting a little aside along the way so that when two cars break down, as was the case for our family this week, problems, you have the capacity in those times of need to meet the need. When when the Christmas holiday rolls around, you could have saved up in the course of the year and and then be prepared. He, He talked about the value of getting ready ahead of time. And I really believe that we're being told in this passage to get ready ahead of time that persecution will come to the lives of those who value Jesus Christ. Now someone can say, well, all right, I understand, Pastor, you're saying this because Jesus said this, but has anyone else said this? The Apostle Paul told us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. He said, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I would imagine if in the course of an entire lifetime of knowing and 
and, and to following Jesus, if a Christian were to say, I never knew any persecution, the question could be asked, well, were we living godly in Christ Jesus? Because Paul made it crystal clear that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 4 and verse 12. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Peter said, listen, it's not strange. It's not bizarre. It's not out of our imagination to think that these difficult times would come to our lives. Now, I can tell you this today. You can avoid persecution in your life that comes from following Jesus Christ if you keep your faith a secret. If you don't take a stand on any of the issues that come along, you can avoid that. Now, trouble can't be avoided in our lives because we're all going to have times of trouble, every one of us. But if we live for Jesus, we can mark it down that trouble will come for doing what's right. Now, I've gotten in trouble a lot of times in my life for doing what's wrong. But when you get in trouble for doing what's right, the Bible word for that is persecution. Trouble for doing right. You see, that's why Jesus in this passage said this, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. In other words, Jesus said you'll be accused of all kinds of things that just aren't true. You will receive trouble for doing what's right. And that leads us to the second thought today. I want to remind you that persecution is not about you. It's not about you. Now, the point is made in these verses that the persecution is because of our association with Jesus. On another occasion, Jesus said this in John chapter 7. He said, the world can't hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. So Jesus said, listen, let's get this clear right off the bat. The world's not really hating you, they're hating me. Because I've come and Jesus came and he established there's a right way, a wrong way. And for that reason, the world did not like the thought that Jesus was there to point things out that were wrong. And, and so Jesus said, the world's not hating you, they're hating me. In John 15 and verse 18, Jesus went on to say this. He said, if the world hates you know that it hated me before it hated you jesus is saying persecution is not about you necessarily jesus says it's it's about me i remember getting a call some time ago from our city hall and i was asked if i'd be willing to open a council meeting in prayer and uh, of course i was thrilled at the thought of doing that i love our city i pray for our city anyhow i might as well pray for our city at the dais there's a meeting's beginning to take place and and frankly i was kind of excited at the thought of of this uh, opportunity and looking forward to it and then the voice on the other end of the line shared with me that if i were to do so would i please not mention the name of jesus in my prayer because it was what they called a non-sectarian prayer now, I know a lot of people would say, well, no problem, you know, but that's a problem for me. You see, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I only have access to the throne room of God in prayer when I do so by way of the name of Jesus. My righteousness is not in me. It's of Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us repeatedly to ask in his name. Now, listen, I could have acquiesced and I could have glad handed and gone down there and said religious sounding words, avoiding the name of Jesus, quietly leaving, sheepishly leaving. But I didn't feel that was something that in any manner of honor that I could do and feel good about my faith in Jesus Christ. So I was excluded from having a part because of my faith in Jesus. Now, I'm not whining. 
I've already told you Christians around the world have died for their faith. I'm, I'm not whining or, or complaining. But I had to remind myself that that was not an insult to me. That was not an insult to Coastline Baptist Church. That was an insult to my Lord and Savior that they would say, you can come, just don't bring Him with you. We don't want to hear anything about Him in this place. And this distinction is important. Because I've learned a few things about myself in the course of my life, and I've learned that I can put up with a lot, a lot, if I'm doing it for someone that I really love. I've endured a lot for my family over the years. My wife one time made me go to a really fancy tea. I would not have done that on my own. For her, I did it, all right, because of love. Uh, I intended a musical with my family one time. Probably would not have done that, but uh, they wanted to go. I went. I, I believe men should be manly. It's part of it. Um, but, you know, the other day we were leaving a restaurant, and my wife asked me to hold her purse for a moment, and I did. <laughs> Ordinarily, I would not be a person that carries a purse, but my wife said, hey, will you hold my purse for a moment? And I did. I didn't say, I just, I just took it. You know, I just... I just gathered it up and carried it to the car. Now, why did I do those things? Because I love her. Well, if I'm going through something because I'm connected to Jesus Christ, wouldn't that then make it an honor? Now, pride's a sin any which way you paint it. But it is an honor when out of love and devotion to Jesus Christ and seeking to follow His will that in the course of doing so, someone would revile, as the Bible would say, bring persecution of one sort or another. It really is an honor to be identified with Jesus in that way. And if there's not a love relationship, listen, run away from Jesus as fast as you can, acquiesce with the whims of the day, run away from any association of faith or faithfulness. But if you love Jesus and follow Jesus and trouble comes for having done so, so, remind yourself of how much he loves you and the privilege you have of loving him. I'm so encouraged by the first century Christians. As the church grew, persecution came. And, and of their experience, we read this in Acts chapter 5. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Can you imagine they were persecuted for their love for Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, they rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer for their Savior because they loved Him. When our world aligns against Jesus and His Word, it is our absolute honor to stand with Jesus Christ. And that leads us to this thought today. Persecution provides a great opportunity. Persecution provides a great opportunity. I kind of wanted to finish this series with a big bang and maybe be humorous or something to kind of tie it all together and send everyone out the back door smiling. And, and I got into this passage and I thought, man, what Jesus is saying here is heavy. I mean, honestly, I, I have to stand on the side of, of Jesus, so to speak, even in this message, because I know that there are people that will attend Coastline today that would rather not even hear this message. And as I read through this, there was something that I nearly overlooked. But at the end of this statement, Jesus gives us these words. He said, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. 
We have to wonder, why would Jesus prepare people, say, listen, persecution is going to come. If you, if you love me and you follow me and you're dedicated to me, persecution will come. Why would Jesus conclude those statements by saying, listen, and that's exactly what they did to the prophets. It's because Jesus is allowing the prophets to be used as an example from which we can learn. Jesus was saying, you're not alone in this. It's happened before. It'll happen now. It'll happen in the future. But I believe there's a lesson in this in the sense that the prophets give us an example while they were in their times of persecution. They stood firm. They lived for God. There's a great chapter in the New Testament book of Hebrews that highlights the faith of many of the great ones that have gone before. Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the chapter of faith. Some have called it the hall of faith. And and in that chapter, many names are mentioned. And then you get to the end of the portion where the names are listed. And the writer of Hebrews just says this, and of the prophets... And then he goes on to tell us about the prophets. He he didn't name them all by name. He just kind of lumped them together as Jesus did here. He said, listen, persecution's going to come. And that's what happened to the prophets. And the writer of Hebrews said, let me tell you about the prophets. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says this in verses 33 through 38. The Bible says, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again. And this all sounds so good, but then the passage turns a corner. And others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance, implying that they could have been delivered had they chosen to turn from God, but they did not do that. And so the Bible says they were tortured that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, bounds of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom, the Bible says, the world was not worthy. These people that were so wonderful, our world wasn't even worthy to have them, they were treated so poorly. And it's interesting to me, That the Bible says they did this because they knew they would obtain a better resurrection. Here's what they understood. They understood they were really not of this world. You see, as Jesus said in verse 10, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus said in verse 12 in our text, great is your reward in heaven. They were great examples because they realized this life is not all there is. I know of young people who've used this expression. It was kind of popular about a year or so ago. YOLO. You only live once. And the idea is you better get it all in. You're only going to go around one time. And, And I know there's a sense in which that can be used to motivate or inspire us to make the most of this life. But I want to remind you that for people of faith, this life is not all there is i know there's eternal life in jesus christ we have physical life but through faith in that which jesus has done we have eternal life and there are eternal ramifications for decisions we make in the course of this life jesus is saying there's a day in which his kingdom is coming and there's a blessing awaiting us there how it all is going to work i'm not sure but during the millennial kingdom the basis of our living and livelihood will be shaped by how it is we live in the course of this life and then forever in heaven we'll be with god but there are ramifications for how we live in this life that roll over into the next so to speak the great opportunity we have in times of persecution is to live as a godly example for those who will follow us 
I've noticed that people watch other people more when they are in the crucible of pressure. And if persecution comes, I pray that we would see it as a great time to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ in our lives. The history of England tells a story. King Henry VIII wanted to get a divorce. Most of the world at that time was uh, a Catholic world under the authority of the Pope. And, and the Pope told Henry VIII, Henry VIII, you can't get a divorce. So he said, all right, I'll create my own church. That's where the Church of England came from, the Anglican Church. And so he created his own church and made himself the leader of it. And he could make any decision he wanted. And so that's what he did. Later in history, in 1553, we read of a queen, a queen that had been married for, for the furtherance expansion of the kingdom and so forth, and her husband dies, and now she's, she's the one that ascends the throne. She's the ruler of England. And she had come from a Catholic background and made the decision, you know, this country at one time was a follower of, of, of Catholicism. And they no longer are. And since that time, Protestantism, the Reformation had taken place. And many people were Christians in England. And, and she said, you know, I, I want to revert back. Well, many of the people living in that day, they, they didn't feel good about a message that said salvation is found in the sacraments and, and through the church. They said, no, it's through faith alone and in Jesus alone. And they said, no, we're not going to go along with this. Do what you will, but we want to only stick to Jesus Christ. Well, the queen decided, I'll get these people on my side. I just got to let them know who's boss. And so she had 200 Christians killed that she thought would set a tone, a precedent, so that others would fall in line. This is why history calls her Bloody Mary, because she killed these Christians. Two of the men she had burned at the stake were Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. And I stood at the very place of their death not too long ago. It's a place called Martyr's Monument, a place where people died for believing in Jesus Christ. I mean people like you, people like me, they died because they believed in Jesus Christ and salvation in Him alone. As the flames were lit beneath Ridley, onlookers heard him pray this, and history records that, that his, his final prayer was, O Heavenly Father, I give unto Thee most hearty thanks that Thou hast called me to be a professor of Thee, even unto death. I beseech thee, Lord God, have mercy on this realm of England and deliver it from all her enemies. That's what Ridley had to say as the flames were lit. For whatever reason, Latimer's flames grew more quickly. And as the flames grew, Latimer looked over to his fellow preacher, Ridley, and he said this. He said, be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. I like that statement. Play the man. And he said, we shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust never shall be put out. The thought was, if we can just silence these people that profess faith in Jesus Christ, we'll put an end to that movement altogether. But the testimony of boldness and courage of Christians in the midst of persecution had the other effect. You see, Jesus is telling us persecution will come, but ultimately it's nothing that need to be feared. We think of the Christians in Jerusalem. Persecution came. They thought this is the end of us. But as the devil put his foot down on the flames of the church in Jerusalem, embers spread over to Antioch, and Antioch caught on fire for Christ. 
And from Antioch, missionaries were sent around the world. In fact, if you're a Christian today, you can probably trace your spiritual lineage back to the church in Antioch. They were the first ones to send missionaries to the Gentile people. I'm saying that when people of faith realize what's going on, that persecution will come, and it's not about us, it's about Jesus, and it's a great opportunity for us to exemplify the traits that we've come to love so much in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that in times like that, a difference can be made. Many people came to Jesus because of people of faith who've stood for God. So today I say this, Jesus loves us so much, He said we're to live prepared lives. And he said, I want you to know, as much as this doesn't make sense, like the other seven statements I've just made, that in the midst of persecution, I've got a blessing for you. I'm going to use your life, kind of like the prophets. I'm going to let your testimony encourage others, touch others, help others. He said, I'm with you in it all. I'm not a prophet. But I'm a student of the Word of God enough to know there have been cycles in world history. And I believe it would be a wonderful thing if the church of God in America would develop a heart of compassion for those Christians around the world who are facing incredible persecution. And that we'd be awakened to the reality that we've got no hope coming from the right wing or the left wing in this country. We've got to look up and trust God and live for him our father we are grateful today that you're a god that tells us how things are you're a god that tells us even how things will be and lord i pray today that you'd help us as your children to make a determination that we want to resemble our father in every way we can help us dear god our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and i know this is a heavy topic it wasn't an easy sermon to to bring to be honest with you but it's a topic we need to hear I think determination is a good thing, but I've come to appreciate more than the word determine. I've come to appreciate the word predetermine, to decide in advance. In the moment, there's no telling which way we'll go. That's why we need to, in advance, heed the words of Jesus Christ and make a decision we'll stand for Him. Now, that's going to look different in every life. But I think at a core level, it's healthy for people of faith to say, Lord, as you enable me by your grace, I want to live for you. I want to stand for you with a good spirit, with a heart of love, with much compassion. But Lord, I don't want the world to push my faith in you to the side. I want to live for you with all of my heart. And and I wonder how many here today would say, Pastor, I could see how that would probably be a good decision to make. A decision to to live for God, to predetermine. I I wonder, are there those this morning by the testimony of a raised hand that say, that's my prayer before the Lord, that stand for him and live for him. Are there those like that today? Wonderful. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Each week as I preach, I share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today wasn't a conventional gospel message. It was very much words directed to people of faith. And that is because we're studying the words of Jesus. And that's what he was dealing with in this passage. But maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, you talk about a God of love, a God that's got a purpose in everything we go through, a God that can even use it for our good and his glory. Let me ask this question today. Do you know that you have a relationship with God? Do you know if you were to die today that you'd spend forever in heaven with Him? The great news is you can know that. You see, the hope that all these who've gone before us have had was that it's not just this life. 
there's eternal life that can be found through faith in that which Jesus Christ has done for us. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. And I haven't pointed any out today who raised a hand, but maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, Pastor, if, if anyone could know they have a relationship with God like that, I'd like to know it. I'd like to know what it is to have sins forgiven and the hope of a home in heaven. And, and as you think of others who've raised their hand today, you can kind of add me to that list. Uh, if I can know I have that relationship, I don't mind you thinking of me in prayer at all. Are there those like that this morning? Pastor, you can think of me and pray for me. Pray for me. Maybe you've been saved and not yet scripturally baptized, or perhaps the Lord's putting it on your heart to unite with His church family by way of membership. I don't know all that the Lord would lead you to do, but I want to encourage you to follow Him. Would you all be so kind as to join me in standing, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, and we're going to end this service with a time of prayer. A time of prayer. The principle I've learned in Scripture is that we need to take heed when we think we're standing so that we don't fall. Maybe today would be a good time for all of us to pray and just say, Lord, I feel like I'm doing good, but help me to stay on the right track. Maybe a sense a little veering in life would be a good time to say, Lord, help me to get right exactly where I need to be. And if there's a spiritual decision in need of being made in your life, I'll be in the front. And I'd love to talk with you and to pray with you. If you'd like to pray in the front of the church, you can do that. It's a place we call an altar, a place of prayer and decision. So as the singing begins today, let's take some time, each of us, to go to God in prayer.